0: Um, when I first asked him, I was like, do you ever play gigs on Christmas Eve? <laughs> so, well, I, I noticed attendance is down this morning, uh, which I guess was the effect of my sermon last week, but um, uh, what we are doing is we are taking a look at uh, wh- who we want to be as a church. Um, we, for the last year, we've been... Uh, really uh, spending some time thinking about, talking about, praying about uh, w- w- what is this church supposed to look like? What are our priorities supposed to be? What, what things have we done right? What things have we fallen short in? What things do we need to do better? And so uh, this, uh, the things we're going to be talking about uh, just represent a, a part of that. Uh, you'll, you'll be hearing about them throughout the year. But what, we wanted to take some time to say, out of everything we do, every, out of everything a church can be, out of everything uh, that people expect from a church, what what are the five most important things? And that's what we boiled it down for ourselves to. We, we've, we've, we know that as a church, we can get so wrapped up in, in doing a 100 things Good things really poorly, or we can do five things well. And I know I'm putting myself up on the line now because this morning we're talking about worship today. That's We're talking about worship. The early service was the biggest disaster ever. I mean, it's one of the worst services I've led in a long, long time. So I it's communion Sunday. We get to the end. I'm introducing the last hymn, and Gustavo goes, communion. And... uh, (laughs) I did a whole introduction leading to a passage that had nothing to do with what I was talking about. So it was just not a good, it was not a good deal. But for tonight, we, are, that was practice though. That's why you don't go to the 830 service. That, that was practice. But we are going to, we are going to talk about this morning, worship. And uh, as I said, over the next few weeks, you'll be hearing about the five areas of ministry that we think are our priorities. That when when we say this is where we're going to put our resources, this is where we're putting our our staff people, this is where we're putting our energy, this this is where we want people, when they think of Bee Creek United Methodist Church, this is what we want them to think about us. And so that's what we're talking about. And the number one priority for us is worship. That's not because that's the part that the pastor leads. That's not because that's where we make the most money. That's not because that's the most visible. It's because of what the Scriptures tell us about who God is and what worship is supposed to be. If you remember, the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us has two parts. The first part is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength okay? That, that Jesus said, is that's our number one priority. And as a church, we recognize that. If we don't get this part right, if we don't get worship right, if we don't get our foundation right, everything else we do is meaningless. And even if it's not meaning, even if there's some good things we do, it, it, it just loses its power. We're no different than a Kiwanis or a Rotary or a country club or something where there's people who do good social acts and stuff but what we believe is by being a church by focusing our efforts around God about worship to God that we're not limited by our abilities that because of his presence because of his power because of who he is because of his desire to see the world become a better place that our efforts are are only a part of it. That through us, he can do things that we can't even imagine. That through us, he can, he can make up for our mistakes. He can take my crappy worship service of 830 and hopefully somehow turn that around. Maybe they go brain dead over lunch and stuff and just think of good things. or so I don't know. But, but I realized and I recognized a long time ago, to serve God, it's not about what I can do. As a church, we need to recognize that being a good church is not about who we are. Being a church is not how much money we have, how much property we have, what kind of programs we have. That's, not, that's the things we tend to concentrate on. But the thing that makes a church successful is how, how apparent and how on center stage is God in that church. I don't care how big a church you go to. You can go to churches across this nation. You will find churches of all sizes that do it. But if you have a church, whether it's two people or 20,000 that put God on center stage, you say, we don't care what's going to happen. We don't care what we look like. We don't care what good things happen. We don't care what bad things happen. We just, we're going to give everything we are to following God, if you, it doesn't matter what size the church is. If you find a church like that, you will notice something different. There's a buzz that happens in a church like that. There's a hum that happens in a church like that. There's an energy in a church like that. You want to be a part of a church like that because the presence of God brings something that nothing else does. That's who we want to be as a church. We've made statements and you'll see these over the next one the reason we have this statement worship doesn't need to be boring is because we realize that most of you grew up thinking this this is this is the perception of the church that people have maybe your kid your parents forced you to go maybe maybe you had a bad experience but but this is what people think about church it's boring it's boring and I tr- trust me, I know. I've, I've been to a lot of boring services. I've had to listen to my own voice sometimes. I realize it can be boring at times. And if all we're doing is gathering to listen to a person talk, if all we're doing is gathering to hear some special music, if all we're doing is gathering to celebrate who we are, then yeah, it's boring. Because that gets dry. I can only celebrate you so much because you're not that worth celebrating, you know? That's why we only celebrate birthdays once a year. And then after 20, 30, you don't do that anymore either because then we just hit the big ones, you know? Thank God you're still alive. That's, <laughs> the, 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 that's what birthdays turn into at a certain point, but we don't our focus is not about who we are. Our focus is about who God is and who He can make us. Well, as we as we try to de- determine direction for our church, we want to be a church where people come where they can, they can experience God in a way they never did before. In fact, we, we, you'll see this. If you go in my office, you'll see this on my desk. The way we've been saying it, we picked this up at a conference, but the way we've been saying this is as we think of who we are as a church, as we think of the people that are out in the world, as we think of the, 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 the folks out there that they're not a part of any church out there, and when you ask them why, you know, well, we don't want to, it's boring. What we are saying as a church, we, in, order to meet the, in order to reach the people around here that no one else is reaching, we want to do things the way no one else is doing. Did you hear that? In order to reach people that no one else is reaching, we want to do things that no one else is doing. Okay? I'm going to say that a third time because the next time that one of you asks me why don't we this is my answer. The reason we do things differently is if we wanna meet if we wanna reach people out there that no one else is reaching. And I'm not talking about stealing Baptists. I'm not talking about stealing other Methodists. I'm not talking about finding people in other churches to make them switch loyalties. That's not, that's not ministry. That's just robbing. That's, that's just switching problems, right? But if we want to reach people that no one else is reaching, the way I read the Scriptures are, God so loved the world that He gave us... It's not enough... That just us, no God. We, we want, in order to reach those people out there that no one else is reaching, we want to do things in a way no one else is doing. Okay? Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. In order to reach people that no one else is reaching, in order to, to tap into those things, we have to sort of take a look at what are the things that turn people off about church? For most people, there's a, there's a list of them. I got to get up on Sunday. That's a big problem. Well, in order to get them up and get them down here, then you can't be boring. Okay? Um, and let me just give you a hint boring is, doesn't only happen from here, boring happens out there too. You know? There's a lot of times I'm up here, I'm bored because I'm looking at your faces, I'm looking at your expressions. <laughs> I like to be entertained as well, you know. (laughs) Smiles go a long way. Laughing at jokes goes a long way. Even some interaction. I I realize we're not a Pentecostal church, but I realize that as Methodists, you have signed an eternal vow that you will never demonstrate audibly or visibly (laughs) any sign of the Spirit or anything. I realize that. But every once in a while, it's okay to show a little energy, isn't it? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, we, you know, we want to be a church where people aren't bored. They they got up, they have a hundred other things they could be doing. We want them to, we want them to feel that we're normal people. We want them to to sense that you don't have to be a weirdo to be a Christian. That's part of why the the dress code. I know some of you don't get that. I know some of you wonder, David's just some You know, that's just some rebel thing. And that's a part of it, yes. I'll I'll give you that. But this was a decision made early on. I have the robe. I've got the vestments. I could come up here flowing. So I, I could do that. But we made a decision a long time ago that there is already so much, there are already so many barriers between clergy and people. There are already so many things that, that makes people from the outside think us and them. There are already so many things that we, we do that seems to separate and say good and bad. That we wanted to put down as many of those as we could. That we wanted to say, you know, I'm no different than you. I struggle with the same thing. In fact, I probably have more issues than most of you. And if God can work in me, then He can work in you. You know, that, that's the attitude we're trying to adopt in worship. That's the people we're trying to become. And it's easy to focus on what the stage does, but do you know what? The, the way that gets communicated the best is in, in the congregation. The way you feel welcomed at a church is through the people the way you feel invited by a church is through the people i'm just i'm just the the window dressing and that's uh, that's scary to think about <laughs> but i am not the thing that people buy in this church what they buy is a god who is bigger than social structure a god who is bigger than where you work, a God who's bigger than your past history and your problems, a God who's bigger than, than uh, social niche, niches and, and groups. That's what attracts them here. That's why we, we don't have signs on the front door that say, don't bring your coffee in the worship space. That's why we can get away with the worship service at 8 30 that was horrible because everybody has come to expect ineptitude by me. <laughs> that's why we, that's why we, it's okay for us not to be polished. We're not worried about, you know, it was no problem of having to unplug and replug and start over again because we're real people. <laughs> We're not trying to put on a show. We're just trying to be real people that gather together to say, without God, we're nothing, and with God, we can do amazing things. That's what worship is about. So I hope you get that. I, I, I want to go to a, a passage. Can you flash it up there, Haley? Second Samuel chapter 6. If you're looking in your Bible and you say I don't have a B in my Bible, that just means the second part of the verse there. Um, But let me give you a, a, a background here. Remember the Old Testament, King David, after he slayed Goliath and things went on, he became king of the the nation. And the Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones recovered it, you know, for it. it's hidden in some warehouse somewhere now, you know. But that Ark of the Covenant, that was for the people of God, their representation of the presence of God, of the power of God. That was the thing that God gave them in their midst, so that when they gathered in the temple, when they gathered to, to, to get together, they had a, a visual sign of who God was. And through the wars of the Philistines, Uh, some of their enemies during the war had stolen it and taken it away from the land. The presence of God was robbed from them. Think about that. The presence of God, the power of God was robbed from them. I actually think we went through about a six-month period of this in our church. It goes from apathy to laziness to fear. But the presence of God can get robbed from us. You're just hungry for it, and you just want it around. And it seems like no matter what you do, what you do to get it back, you just can't find a way to reprogram it. And that's why the Israelites were, were miserable without it. Finally, they got it back. They brought it back. It was, it was an amazing thing. God's presence has come back into our midst. Let's read. What David the king, okay, King David... He is so overjoyed about it. Let me find my place here. Verse 12. Oh, second Samuel. Thank you. There's a first Samuel too and that one didn't work. All right. All right. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the God had gone six steps, David sacrificed a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for her. They brought the ark of the Lord, set it in place, in special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and priest offerings. And when he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the lords of heavy, heavenly honor Armies. And he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, cake of raisins, and all the people returned home. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servants' girls like any vulgar person might do. And David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all of his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. And yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. Let me me explain what happens here. David... They, in the Bible, they put that you have to read between the lines. What happened, he removed his priestly. He was so happy. He was so excited. You know, they wore robes and everything back then. He was so excited that God's presence was, was back in that he just ripped off the, the robe, and so he was just sort of dancing in his underwear, okay? And, and people didn't do that, especially the king of Israel, all right? The king of Israel. The, can you imagine George Bush like whooping off the, the coat and. Oh, that's a picture you don't want. But uh, but he is just so ecstatic. And Michael, who is his wife, the one he won from defeating uh, Goliath, as any good spouse does, whenever you're having fun, they have to come and ruminate for you. So, uh, so. And you're laughing because you know that's true. You do that to each other all the time. But... She comes up and she says, oh, you're making an idiot of yourself. And he says, you know what? In order to play, in, because of what God has done, in order to let him know how, what I feel about I am willing to be a fool any day of the week. I will be a fool if it means I'm honoring God. You know, there are some times we do things here that you might not get. There are some times that we fall flat on our face as we try to worship and stuff here but if we make a fool for ourselves but we get across the point that God cares about you, if we're honoring him, it doesn't matter if we're fools or not. In fact, I think it would be better I think we would be better off trying to be fools because then we don't take ourselves so seriously. Then we don't get so wrapped up in in what we think is good church behavior. I want you. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna just talk about some of the challenges I think we have to this. So many of you that have grown up in a church environment for so long, and you grew up, and it's not necessarily your fault. It's what you learned. You know what we're comfortable with is what we've experienced. The kind of the kind of music you like, the kind of church you like, the kind of service you like. It's it's what you've been used to, right? That's the most comfortable for us. That's what. And because it's church, of course, anyone who doesn't like what we don't like are sinners and blasphemers. In any other thing, they just have a different opinion. But in religious circles, anything different from you is just wrong. For some reason, we do that. But whatever you've grown up with, that's what you're used to. And so then we come and we try to do new things. And you freak. Because it's wrong. It's wrong. Because everyone knows in order to be a good godly person, you must, what? I mean, we can go down the line. And it's been happening since the early days. It's been happening over, that's why we have so many denominations in different churches. You can drive down the roads like in, in Kentucky and stuff where I went to seminary and you can see the church arguments happening by the names of the churches. You got the first Baptist church here, Two miles down the road, then it's the First Baptist Church that didn't like, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, uh, that reads their Bible every day. Then you have down here the Second Baptist Church that sings without a hymnal. Then you have the one over here, the the Third Baptist Church that that. Um, That allows you to stand up and shout out, amen. You can see the arguments that has happened. And throughout the years, that's been happening over and over and over. We spend so much time arguing about the way we do things that we have lost sight of who we worship, who we lift up. And this is the biggest thing that's happened in the last 35 years is we have moved worship from being something we do for God and turned it into something that we expect Him to do for us. That might not even make sense to you because you've been so influenced by our culture. But worship is not about you. There is nowhere in the scriptures will you ever read God will worship you for attending church. God will worship you for saying a prayer. God will worship you for singing the right song. God will worship you for having a pipe organ, for wearing a robe, for sitting in pews instead of chairs, for meeting at 10 instead of 11, for having carpet instead of tile, for having hymnals instead of screens. There's never a place where the Scriptures direct worship at us. Who alone gets worshipped? You know the word worship has to do with work. Worship is a sacrifice we bring, but our culture has turned worship into what do we get? In fact, that's what we look for in churches. Well, how much how much are they able to do for me? I, you know, sure, they they're. I, but that, I, I, what do they do for me? What, what, what can I get from them? In fact, we, we even have this whole holy religious language that focuses about ourselves. Oh, I was really fed by the sermon today. Oh, I, I just can't wait for... I, I need to find a new church because I'm just not being fed there. Some of you have been feeding so dang much that you are just bloated with your holiness. And you need to get up off your butts, quit feeding yourselves, and go feed some other people. There's a hungry, dying world out there. There are people starving to know that there's a God that loves them. And you're just so worried about how you get fed. And when you don't find it here, you'd run to some other church. And when you don't find it there, you run to some other church. And when you don't find it there, you run to some other church. You know, people that scare me to death are the ones that come up and they saddle up next to me and they think I'm going to buy into what they're doing. And they're like, we're coming to your church because that last church, they didn't do do, do, that. You know, let me just give you a little insight from a preacher. If you hated your last preacher and the preacher before that, and the preacher before that, I just know it's coming for me. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to kick it, but I'm not going to be surprised when the day comes and I'm the evil one all of a sudden. It's because you've missed it. It's not about you. It's about Him. How can you come and be filled? If you really want to be filled, God wants to fill you, but He wants to fill you with His spirit. He wants to fill you with His love, with His compassion, with His mercy, with His grace. Not with what you want, not with your ego, not with your your wants and your desire. He wants to fill you with His agenda. So in order to get what God wants to give, you have to come and empty yourself. You have to come and lay down your agenda at at the cross. You have to come and lay down your your desires. The way Jesus said it is, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross daily and follow me. You have to die to yourself and follow me. You have to die to your wants. You've got to die to the things that you think make church work. And go with what... Just I I have to say that one more time. If you, a church person, thinks that this is the way a church should act, we're probably doing the wrong things. Because the only people we have, if we do that, are more church people. And the church people already have churches. We're not trying to get more church people. We're trying to get people who don't go to church. We're trying to get people who don't believe in God. We're trying to get people who don't know that there's a God who loves them. So all your ideas and all the things you bring me from other churches of the wonderful ways, that's great, but we're not trying to attract church people. In fact, I'd like to get rid of a bunch of them. <laughs> we want to give the, the Word of God to the people who need it. You know, when... When Jesus was demonstrating how you worship, what it means to, to bring a sacrifice, it cost Him His life. There was nothing halfway about it. It wasn't just in talk only. But when Jesus demonstrated for us what it meant to submit to the Father, it meant that He had to go to a cross and be broken. It meant that He had to, to die to... His desires, to His rules, to His ideas, and follow the plans of the Father. And because He was willing to do that, and because He shed His blood for us, because He paid a price, we get to receive the forgiveness. And so when we're willing to empty ourselves, when we're willing to humble ourselves, when we're willing to come and leave our agenda at the cross, we can be filled with His presence. I'm going to invite those who are going to serve communion for us to come forward this morning. It's appropriate when we're talking about worship to end with the sacrament of communion. As we we do this, this gives you an idea of what I'm talking about. Where you take these ordinary things, this bread and this juice, and through something that God does that you can't do anywhere else, through that, people can understand Him better. They can be in His presence. They can receive His forgiveness. They can go to a place that you can't do. How that happens, I cannot explain to you other than it's because God is a part of it. Bread and juice. How do those become holy objects? I don't know. But that's what God does. That's what God can do in your life as well. That's what worship is about, inviting him in. We're going to start in the front here. As you come down, you can come down the middle and then make your way out. Uh, The ushers will will direct you by rows. You're invited. This is a place where you can experience God. Won't you come and, and receive?